0: today on Ag News Daily.
1: We have a a lot of producers around the country that are uh, extremely pleased with what we do and how we do it. That's where we take our direction from our grassroots members and, and state affiliates across the country.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. Ashton, what do you know today? Well, Delaney, I have figured out that I am a lot better at math than I
2: thought I was. I had my first finance exam, which I've been struggling a little bit, but I got a high B on it today. So I'm pretty proud of myself, patting myself on the back for sure.
0: That's awesome, Ashton. And for those of our listeners who are new to the podcast, remind them what you're going to grad school for. I am getting my
2: master's of agribusiness degree, and it has been a struggle for like the first time in my life. I got a tutor, so that's been really helpful, but definitely a big learning curve from getting my undergrad degree in ag communications, definitely not really
0: in the same realm. (laughs) You're going to follow right along in my footsteps, Ashton. You're going to be speaking markets here before we know it. No, I don't know if I can be as good as you. I'm really trying.
2: Maybe once I take my uh, futures and options class, then maybe we can talk. I don't know
0: yet. (laughs) I'll be excited when you take that class. You'll be asking better questions than I will on Market Monday. (laughs) I don't know about that. I'm really hoping so. I've learned quite a bit
2: about markets. I still don't quite get the uh full grasp of it but hopefully you know here in a few short months i'll uh be on your level maybe not so much your level
0: but uh up there for sure well markets are hard to grasp fashion so you're not alone there but let's talk news for today before we do talk markets eventually ashton what news are you watching today Well, of course, Commodity Classic is
2: still going on. Tomorrow is the last day of that virtual event. But carbon credits, of course, have been a large topic of discussion. And the CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers says from a wheat farmer's perspective, the carbon market programs can't be a one size fits all type of program. Deering Commodity Classic, Chandler Gould says, for instance, cover crops for a farmer in the Pacific Northwest who only grows wheat would compete too much for moisture and damage the wheat crop. And something that I didn't even take into consideration that Gould goes on to talk about is the different kinds of climates that we're in here in America. I mean, my climate is definitely a lot more different than your climate in Iowa, And so that's something that these carbon programs are going to have to take into consideration. He says that cover crops will not work in every state as a way to sequester carbon in the wheat industry. He was quoted as saying, we are going to have to find other ways to sequester carbon that will also help us maintain the moisture so that our seeds can germinate in the next planting season. It's something that's weighing heavily on wheat growers' minds right now also says the National Association of Wheat Growers is forming a special committee on sustainability and climate to further explore opportunities for wheat growers to participate in carbon markets.
0: Well, Ashton, I don't have any commodity classic news, but I do have an interesting piece of news here coming from Cargill. Of course, they're the world's largest agricultural trader, and they've put out some recent news saying that they're planning to spend $475 million to expand their U.S. soybean processing plants. They say that this increase in demand we've seen from China is what's helping justify Cargill's investment in expanding soybean processing facilities. Now, they don't give really a specific timeline here, but they said, again, pointing back to China, we're seeing ourselves, or they're seeing themselves, be in a great position to meet the growing global and domestic demand for soy products, both in the food and fuel market, according to their North American managing director for Cargill's agricultural supply chain unit. And they said they are excited to move their business into the future, and part of this includes expansion.
2: Delaney, I think you're probably the person that I talk to the most in the world right now. And it kind of shows because I think we have like the same brain because I also had a story geared up to talk about Cargill and their expansion. But mine said that the projects will be completed over the next five years. So this demand is certainly growing. Oh, fantastic. I'm glad you had that piece of news, Ashton. Absolutely. But uh, since you stole one of my news articles, I only have one other to share today. It's talking about action that groups are saying is needed on carriers denying exports, which I'm excited to dive into because I didn't even know this was an emerging issue a group of bipartisan senators, is asking the chairman of the Federal Maritime Commission to investigate if agricultural commodities are being denied carriers at ports. The group of senators say that if the carriers are returning to their origin with empty containers rather than accepting U.S. agriculture and forestry exports, it not only exasperates poor congestion, congestion, but potentially violates the Shipping Act as an unjust and unreasonable practice. During this week's Commodity Classic, USDA trade official Jason Halfmeister told farmers they are also asking the commission to address the situation, even if it means taking legal action. And just last week, more than 70 ag groups requested President Biden take action on ocean container carriers denying exports to Asia. They say refusals and charges by carriers dramatically increase costs to exporters, making foreign sales insufficient and uneconomical and render farmers and processors unreliable suppliers to the global supply chain. So I'm not exactly sure if the letter that was sent by those senators is talking about, you know, Asia specifically, but, um, you know, the ag groups that reached out to President Biden are talking about Asia. I think this is definitely interesting and it's kind of a domino effect on, you know, the the impact on if this is happening. So I'm kind of excited to see where this
0: investigation goes. Absolutely, Ashton. Well, one thing I'm excited to see where it goes is weather. Just kidding. I know we talk about weather pretty much every day on the podcast, but I've got another update here on South American weather. This is changing day by day, folks. And I'm not a meteorologist, but I can pick up on some pretty good news. I think that will continue to impact the business of agriculture. More specifically here our markets. And then of course, is South American weather. Taking a look at some recent forecasts, meteorologists are now suggesting that we, not us, but Brazil and Argentina will see continued rains here. Uh, in parts of Mato Grasso, Friday and Saturday, they're saying a new cold front will likely bring back frequent rain for the country of Brazil starting on Sunday. And this is intended to last, at least from their latest forecast models, going to last until about March 12th to the 14th, worsening soybean harvest delays. So I know we have a wised report coming out. Next week, I don't anticipate that we will see any sort of change or cut in production uh, on the South American balance sheet for next month or for this month's report. But maybe in the future here, if we do continue to see these harvest delays, there is still a very likely possibility we could see production numbers cut for the country, which would be beneficial for U.S. grain producers. Well,
2: Delaney, like I said, I am a out of news for today. There wasn't a whole lot going on in the world of news, so hopefully there's going, hopefully there's more going on in the world of markets. Delaney, are you ready to hop into that conversation?
0: I certainly am, Ashton. Let's talk markets for today. And as you look across the screen today, we had some mixed trade in the green complex, and... Uh, I think soybeans got up as high as what, 12, 15, 17 cents, uh, during today's session. Unfortunately, we could not sustain those rallies, but we still finished higher in the soybean complex. In the corn complex, however, not so lucky. We saw the March corn contract shed four cents today to close at 546 and a quarter of the May down two and three quarters cents to close at 532 and a half. Soybeans today up higher as the March contract added four and a half cents to close at 1415 and a quarter of the May up three cents to close at 1410 and a half. Chicago wheat slightly lower today as the March contract shed two dollars, excuse me, two cents to close at 6.49 and three quarters. The May down five cents to close at 6.51. In livestock today, weakness today as the April live cattle contract shed 85 cents to close at 118.55, The June down 70 cents to close at 1.1697 and a half. And in feeders today, again, weakness as the March contract shed a dollar ninety to close at one thirty-five ten. The April down two dollars thirty-two cents to close at one thirty-eight seven and a half. And in Lean Hogs, I lied, there was a little bit of strength today in the May deferred contract, adding five cents, tickles at 89.40, the June down 12.5 cents, tickles at 94.72 and half. And rounding things out today with our class three dairy milk futures, the weakness continued into the dairy complex. As the March contract shed 25 cents, tickles at 16.15, the April down 26. To call at 1768. Now, Ashton, now we've got some really timely news today. We, you caught up, I shouldn't say we, you caught up with NCBA's Ethan Lane to talk about what NCBA has for goals here moving forward. Today,
2: we are talking to Ethan Lane, who is the VP of Government Affairs at NCBA. Ethan, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Great to be with you.
2: So, NCBA recently had their virtual Winter Reboot Conference, and I don't know, I assume that you guys, I mean, we've been in this pandemic now for a little over a year or just at a year or so. I think everyone's just about much, a year. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone has pretty much got a handle on doing things virtually. Um, so why don't you just tell <laughs> us a little bit about um, this conference and kind of a little bit about what you guys talked about? We'll dive deeper into those topics, of course, but just a short intro
1: sure yeah unfortunately you're right i think everyone has has gotten a little too adept at using uh virtual teleconference uh, systems over the last year but we did uh take advantage of that to hold a winter reboot meeting and and sort of make sure we we had that touch base with our producers around the country uh, and give them some of the items that they would have received as far as updates and discussions uh, had we been able to have our typical uh, cattle industry convention this time of year, uh, which obviously has been moved to August. Thankfully, we're still going to be able to have it this year uh, in, in August, rather than having to cancel it outright. But winter reboot was a great opportunity for for us, especially in the in the D.C. office and the policy team to have some discussion about what's going on in this new administration. Obviously, there are a lot of questions from producers around the country about what the new Biden team means for their operations. Uh, they're hearing a lot about things like climate. They're hearing a lot of things about taxes, um, movement on things like the death tax, um, you know, and, and just general sort of outlook for the industry, given uh, some of the new folks that are, that are running the show here in Washington, D.C. So that was a really good opportunity for uh, myself, Colin Woodall, our CEO, as well as my policy team here in the DC office to run through their specific issue areas. And, you know, some of the highlights that that we really focused on were, the theme of, of climate change and sustainability that we're seeing uh, throughout the new administration, this is a, a really big issue for them. That's something they signaled on the campaign trail. This is not a new topic for cattle producers. This is a conversation we've been involved with, um, you know, since the since the dawn of cattle production in the United States. We're the original conservationists, and, and you know, the resources that we manage around the country are in such good shape because of the work our producers do. But we're going to have to put some numbers to that. Uh, over the next couple of years with this administration, and make sure that they know what a great job we're doing, and that our producers get credit for that. Um, so we talked a lot about that. We talked about, uh, you know, some of the opportunities for expanding trade markets, and and also some of the, uh, the, the the areas where we may not agree with the new administration as much. Some of the regulatory wins of the last few years, things like uh, the Endangered Species Act, the National Environmental Policy Act. Uh, big rewrites there that were really beneficial for cattle producers. Uh, WOTUS, you know, the Navigable Waters Protection Rule continues to be an issue. Uh, one administration after another, that's going to be pretty much the same story in this administration, we think. Um, and, you know, we, we got to just kind of touch base on, on all of those issues and, and take a little bit of a minute to, to digest what this new makeup in Congress means for producers as well. These narrow majorities mean gridlock. It means uh, a lot of deal-making, and it, it means that there's going to be a lot of power vested in moderates uh, on both uh, uh, in both parties uh, that we're going to need to engage in aggressively to make sure that our interests are represented in the new Congress.
2: You are certainly correct, Ethan. It's a lot to digest when we're talking about this new administration and what cattle, cattle men, cattle women should be concerned with right now. But one of the things that I definitely want to touch on is climate change, because when we're talking about climate change a lot on the podcast. I feel like we're talking to farmers specifically that are, you know, growing crops, not so much livestock producers. So how sure. might, you know, cattle producers implement better practices? I say I say better, but, you know, just more sustainable practices, I should say, to kind of mitigate climate change.
1: So we're, we're doing it already. It, it, it's a question of making sure that we're doing it at the right scale it's it's a question of making sure that we're, as I said earlier, getting credit for what we're already doing. Baseline is really important in this conversation, and that's not just for cattle producers. That's agriculture in general. Um, you know, how much carbon are we sequestering in the soil with our current grazing management systems? Right? What's possible if we make some soil health changes? If we take some additional actions uh, on those on farm operations to to increase uh, potential for for sequestration of carbon in the soil? Um, what are we doing as far as as open space and wildlife benefit? And what are we doing as far as managing fuel loads? And, and what are the what are the you know secondary benefits of that that we may not be getting credit for? For now, and how do we increase those moving forward? You know, at the feedlot level, what are some things we can do there to continue to optimize that process? Um, one of the things that gets lost in this conversation is we're already the most sustainable cattle production system in the world. Uh, our carbon footprint is is two percent, one point nine by EPA's latest numbers, um, and just a shade under three percent if you include inputs at the feedlot, fuel, energy, and all of that. So. Compared to a 14.5% global number, we're, we're a model for, for cattle production around the world. Um, we need to make sure that's well understood in this conversation. We, we need to make sure that in global conversations or in conversations with the new administration, they're not using those global numbers to tattoo producers here in the United States uh, uh, with with being part of the problem rather than part of the solution, because we, we very much are that. Um, and, and then looking for those ways, as you said, to move the needle, uh, you know, and continue to, to increase uh, rotational grazing practices. And, you know, one of the things we're really uh, uh, big on here that we stress a lot is you know everybody's operation is different the north side of the mountain doesn't doesn't operate the same way as the south side of the mountain so the potential of any individual operation has got to be taken into account here we can't paint this with a broad brush and say, you know, every producer has to do X, Y, and Z in the exact same order to achieve the same benefit. We've got to get close to the ground. We've got to be able to speak intelligently about what's possible and what's achievable in each individual operation.
2: With this new administration and specifically, you know, some things that I have heard or or read that have been reported that... Secretary Vilsack has has said, deals a lot with diversity. And I think that that's going to continue to be a large topic of discussion, you know, just obviously just with the new administration and other policies not concerning agriculture. But it is leading into the ag sector, which I am very interested in learning a little bit more about because I don't feel like we have talked a whole lot about diversity in this industry. So I, I guess, sure. uh, you know, my question being, you know, how is NCBA – um, looking towards diversity with this new administration.
1: You know, I was struck by I was sitting in my office the other day and I, I was I just looked up and Clinton Griffiths was on RFD on his show and he was running a, a feature on a a, a a black farmer that was talking about. The struggles that he has because he doesn't feel like he's part of that coffee shop conversation in in his area, and we talk, uh, I mean, ad nauseum about coffee shop conversation in this industry, right? Because it's at the end of the day the most reliable source of news uh, and and local discussion on any topic around the country, and and I that really struck me as as uh, something that hadn't really occurred to me before that uh, this this gentleman was saying he was really having to seek out uh, that kind of conversation with with uh, you know his peers is on a national level. And so we, we clearly as an industry are going to need to participate in that conversation and figure out how to make sure that we're making sure that our neighbors, uh, you know, regardless of who they are, are feeling welcome in those conversations and that they are part of that information sharing back and forth. Um, And I think that, I think this industry doesn't get credit for, uh, for the work that we already do on that front, as far as just, you know, uh, when you, when you go to our conventions, when you, when you work with folks across the, across the country, uh, depending on, different parts of the country i'm from the southwest i mean you know we have uh we have a lot of diversity as far as you know uh, latino populations down there that have been in agriculture for generations um and you see that in different parts of the country but we need to get better about talking about it we we need to be better at at just sort of um talking through how we can move the needle on that and i think this administration is going to spend a lot of their time working on that so um you know we'll be interested to see how that plays out and, and what role we can play in that
2: so, Ethan, I want to kick things over talking about policy, because even though we're still in the first hundred days of the Biden administration, there's been quite a lot of talk about, um, you know, COVID relief, about new policies. I was just reading today a, a Senate bill that was introduced earlier this week about cash, cash sales for cattle. So what are some of the top policies right. that, um, you know, people should be paying attention to right now?
1: Well, the Cattle Market Transparency Act is definitely, uh, I think, the, the, the biggest legislative item uh, that's that's happening this week. That is uh, the reintroduction of uh, Senator Fisher's bill uh, from the last Congress dealing with uh, regional minimums for, for negotiated and cash trade. That's been an issue uh, we have spent a lot of time in the industry working on over the last couple of years. It was really highlighted, not just during the uh, the, the price environment during COVID, but going all the way back to the Holcomb fire where we saw those big spreads between box beef prices, and live cattle prices for our producers. one of the ways we can help with that is is through increasing negotiated trade. So we have that price discovery that we need. You know, we have a lot of producers around the country using formula and grid contracts. They're using those too to receive premiums on their cattle, and the packers like them because uh, they can achieve those qualities that they're looking for in in, in specific uh, you know needs, whether it's an HTC or homo- non-hormone beef or uh, natural or whatever else. Um, so you know, we we want to try to make sure we're we're getting enough of that negotiated trade in the marketplace. And and just being perfectly honest, the industry is really divided on it because different regions have different ways of doing business. They trade 49% of their cattle in Iowa on, on cash. Um, and if you get down into places like Texas, it's more like 6%. So, you know, it, this doesn't look the same everywhere in the country. And we want to make sure we're being uh, really cognizant of those regional differences. But we also want to make sure that um, we're, we're creating some opportunities for authentic negotiation on these cattle. Uh, So we're in the middle of a voluntary process at NCBA that was charted out by our affiliates in our policy meeting back in in the summer, where we're evaluating week over week negotiated trade. And uh, hopefully in the next few weeks, we'll be evaluating number of packers participating in those regions as well. So we kind of get both sides of the equation. Senator Fisher's bill uh, attacks that problem a little differently. She looks to USDA and her bill to set those minimums for the industry um, and then enforce that in a mandatory way. Our policy right now doesn't go that far. Our policy essentially that was handed to us by our members essentially says they want to see that voluntary process play out, and if it fails, if we can't get to those robust numbers through that voluntary process, then we need to start looking at some options like the Fisher Bill um, to, to try to move the needle on that. So NCBA is is actively engaged in this. We're watching that bill. There's a lot in that bill. We very much support things like the cattle contract library, making some movement on confidentiality requirements. That's been a big challenge for us in getting the data we need to to know how we're doing on cash trade in these areas. So there's a lot to like in that bill. There's some areas uh, of the bill that the industry is just a, a little too divided on still to, to be able to fully support. But I would expect that topic to evolve over the, over the course of the year. Uh, everybody is putting their heads to it right now. Everyone's trying to solve the, the same problem. And we've already seen uh, some some uptick in some of those numbers in, in some parts of the country. So um, we're going to continue to work on that. We are fully expecting to have uh, a pretty robust conversation moving forward on on trade, on expanding into some of those new markets. Um, obviously, we're hearing uh, you know a lot of Asian market discussion again, and the Biden administration has signaled wanting to go back into TPP um, or whatever the, the new acronym is. I'm forgetting they've added a couple letters to it, but that uh, you know that that Asian uh, multi-state trade deal. Uh, we're currently benefiting from that bilateral agreement with Japan that the Trump administration uh, was able to secure, which is giving us the access we need into our largest trading market there. Um, But, you know, it's it's an area where both Democrat and Republican administrations, um, we tend to have a pretty good relationship on trade. So we would expect that to continue. We're looking to, to see more progress in China. We were up 300% approximately in beef exports to China last year. That's great progress. Let's, let's hope we can keep moving the needle on that, um, and, and see what can get done on a, on a UK or an EU, uh, trade deal as well. Um, and see if the, the Biden administration has an appetite to to pursue some of that along with, you know, these other priorities like COVID relief that that uh certainly are going to continue to be a big focus for them. Um we're still focused on that as well. Uh we wanna make sure that we continue to have a supply chain that's functioning as as close to optimum as possible so that we can keep moving cattle through the system so we don't have backlogs like we saw last spring, that we're we're still in some parts of the country trying to finish clearing up um and, and keep those grocery store shelves full.
2: So, Ethan, last year there was quite a bit of tension caused between beef producers and actions like the, uh, the fair cattle trade market discrepancies and USDA investigations. And, of course, some other issues that weighed heavily on beef producers. With that being said, what is NCBA doing to kind of amend those broken fences with producers?
1: you know the cattle industry is interesting i mean if you look at any other animal ag industry they they just don't have um maybe they just don't have as much of an independent streak as, as our industry does um you know we we have a, a lot of producers around the country that are uh, extremely pleased with what we do and how how we do it. That's where we take our direction from our grassroots members in, in state affiliates across the country. Um, we also have folks that, that are, are just convinced that if NCBA does it, it must be wrong and it must be bad. Um, and, and, you know, we've spent a lot of time trying to reach out to some of those folks as much as we've been able to over the last year. We've tried to get out on the road, talk to them one-on-one, talk to them in sale barns, talk to them in their own backyards. And we've we've done that in, in quite a few areas of the country, trying to help them understand what it is we're doing and why. You know, we don't make up what we do here in Washington, D.C. We take our direction from the country. Um, So Helping folks to understand that uh, we're producing cattle in this country a lot of different ways. And, and the way you're doing it in your neck of the woods may not be the same as the way someone's doing it two states over. Um, but we need to make sure there's room for both of those people to operate and thrive um, in in this industry. And that's where our focus is. I mean, our top line of our policy priorities for 2021 um, talks about the fact that that above all else, we are focused in 2021 on advocating for a business climate climate that increases opportunities for producer profitability across, that colors every single issue that we work on here in Washington. So we, we're trying to get that message out and help producers to understand that's why we're here. That's, that's why we do the work that we do. And, and they are the folks that we're working for. We, I mean, are 95% of our members are those boots on the ground cattle producers around the country. So, uh, I mean, that's where our heads are every day. And, and quite frankly, that's where most of the team here comes from.
2: So, Ethan, I just have a one last question before I let you go. and it's looking towards the future in 2021, what do you expect the market outlook to be for, you know, the rest of the year?
1: Great question. So, you know, uh, I've, we had a Cattle Facts update during our winter reboot last year, or excuse me, last week, and, you know, they... they Seem to think there's some there's some room for optimism towards the second half of the year. You know, feed prices are clearly making it challenging for the for the feeding sector uh, to to be profitable, and the, the last thing they they needed was was more headwinds uh, after the last after the last year or two. You know, we've all been watching the numbers over the last week and and sort of that struggle to move higher uh, in the uh, for for live cattle and. You know we're gonna apparently according to, to some of the the estimates for the year continue to see some of that struggle over the next few months but there does sound like there's some optimism in the second half of the year that we could see prices improve that would certainly be welcome news um, you know and and something that we're we're going to continue to, to keep our fingers crossed for because you know our producers are Across the country have just taken a beating over the past couple of years. It, it's it's if this market is going to cycle, it, it's it, it needs to hurry up and, and get moving in the in the right direction because, uh, you know, that's that's something that, that weighs heavily on our producers across the country. Our job back here is to try to clear as many obstacles to that as possible, and and to make sure we're we're opening up as many opportunities as possible, keeping the government out of producers backyards to the extent that we can so that they're free to run their businesses and, and, and be as profitable as they can. And, and right now, a lot of that focus is on trying to make sure we're pushing some of that value down the chain to producers and that they're not getting the short end of that stick because they have been for the last couple of years. That, that leverage component is a big, big, big part of this equation. There's plenty of money in the system. I mean, that was, that was something that cattle facts made very clear earlier in the week. We, we know that that money is, is being, I, I, you know, Corralled at the at the the packing sector and, and above, and, and we need to focus our efforts on restoring that leverage to the producer side. That's going to mean having more conversations about hook space, talking about more avenues to provide resources for small packing plants around the country, to expand existing packing capacity, to make sure those state-inspected facilities have options available to start marketing across state lines, and, and growing that footprint of, of, of capacity where it's needed around the country outside of you know uh, the, the few big packers and some of those concentrated operations. And we're seeing that throughout the country. So with some legislative help and some of the bills that we're working on, we're hopeful we can continue to move the needle on that and, and help that market move in the right direction.
2: Well, Ethan, like you've said before, there is a lot to digest on what's going on in the cattle industry right now. And hopefully that can all kind of simmer down. But again, I just thank you for coming on and helping us to digest and dive into all this information.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me.
2: Thanks again there to NCBA's VP of Government Affairs, Ethan Lane, for coming on and talking to me about the virtual event that they had just last week and, you know, what we can be on the lookout for in the future concerning cattle production. It's very interesting, and I'm excited to see where some of these policies go here in the future. I mean, we just saw Bill
0: introduced earlier this week, so pretty timely, as you said, Delaney. Absolutely, Ashton, but we're always covering timely topics just like this one on all of our Ag News Daily episodes. So, folks, be sure to check out any of our past episodes you might have missed. The news may not be still as important, but the interviews definitely are. You can check us out at agnewsdaily.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Ag News Daily. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.